0: tumbles lower for a second day in a row after yesterday's highly anticipated policy update from the Federal Reserve.
1: Plus, as China cracks down a big of mining, crypto increases, Another brutal day on Wall Street. The Dow sinking over 1,400 points, officially entering bear market territory. Once again, related to fears over coronavirus and pessimism that any economic stimulus measures are still far off. this time, it's different with regards to the but Salutations, dear citizens, as we peer into the new fund order to discover the immutable truth for asset management and wealth managers. The lowdown from the dark side, the frontier and the fringe of asset management and fund research.
0: The the last couple of weeks, yields have been moving from a lot of money shipping from high growth into what they perceive as value. It has been...
1: Podcast for wealth managers, fund selectors, distributors, and investors, bringing to you the People's Republic podcast of finance in association with my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors, capturing the latest market news, views, and interviews with leading minds in our industry. Allianz Global Investors is one of the world's leading active managers. Pessimism that any economic stimulus measures are still far off. At this time it's different with regards to the rotation, but let's also realize that this rotation was occurring. Now there's a very fundamental reason to support the continuing rotation. long surge to start the year. Many are again asking: Are you better off with passive index investing?
0: They're going to have to find another argument. In the markets, the last couple of weeks, yields have been moving. Seems a lot of money shifting from high growth.
1: And in these strange pandemic lockdown times, rest assured that all guests are calling in remotely. Interview. Uh, hi, Joe. Welcome to the the Frontier, the new fund order.
0: Oh, pleasure to be here, JB. Good to speak to you today. <laughs>
1: Likewise. Um, other than, obviously, we're both fund allocators, we are also both observers of the behavioural and, the, I guess, the sociological in markets. As an experienced multi-manager and asset allocator, most recently at Aberdeen Standard, you have been the author of a behavioural investing blog. Noting Daniel Kahneman's new book, Noise, Noise and Bias, and I think just for the benefit of the listeners. Firstly, what is noise? What does it mean for fund investors? How is that information noise changing investor biases? Uh, what are the largest biases fund selectors are falling into?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really interesting area. And I think noise is incredibly important and will become an, an increasing area of focus over the next few years, focusing on biases and behavioural biases for the last decade, as particularly Daniel Kahneman's works become popularised, thinking fast and slow. And that whole literature around behavioural biases and behavioural finance has become, become so relevant to the, the day-to-day decisions that investors and, and fund investors make. And noise looks at it from a slightly different angle but an equally important one maybe maybe more important than biases uh and noise is really about the inconsistent judgments that we make so you can think about biases as being consistent errors in the d- decisions that we make mm. uh, so if you, have, if you have a biased clock then it's still useful if it's five minutes fast uh, every day uh all the time because you can make that adjustment whereas if you have a noisy clock it's not useful at all because you don't know whether it's fast or slow so you can't make any any good judgments Right. Or adjustments for that for the noise. So noise is about variability. So you're not missing the target in a consistent fashion. You're missing it in, a, in an erratic fashion. So it's harder to kind of define and capture than biases. And it's probably why it's more difficult to talk about. And it's not really discussed because it's quite hard to frame and, and capture in any any reasonable way. Um, I think there's two there's two types of noise, as I see it, for for fund investors to to think about noise in the things that affect our decision making, but don't really matter at all, but affect us in making judgments. So there'll be how we feel, any pressure we're under, it might be about incentives, it might be about relationships. So things that do affect our judgment through time and when we make decisions. And that will mean you might make a different decision today to one we make in a month's time, uh, even if the information is the same, because of external factors. And the other part of noise, which is probably even more important, is the things that we think matter, but don't. So the stuff that we think is information, and it's informing our decision-making, but actually it's noise. It doesn't mean anything. So that can be, certainly for fund investors, the obsession with past performance. It might be the latest economic developments and narratives that we've got no chance of predicting, but obsess over those kinds of noisy things that take us away from focusing on the areas where we think we can make sensible and consistent judgments. Um, So I think it's really important for us to think about how we make our decision-making more Rigorous and robust and, and consistent, and we're just we're just faced with a, a cacophony of noise, and the ability to make clear headed, consistent decisions <laughs> is incredibly compromised. Um, particularly, I think for for professional investors, so professional fund investors um, who have to operate under um, scrutiny and very short time horizons, are just facing noise every day because they have to engage with markets every day. Um, it's a slight advantage for private investors because it's easier for them to shut themselves off from the noise and from those things that might affect your feelings or your, your decision-makings and your judgments. At
1: times, I, I almost sense a, a, almost a degree of frustration, perhaps, with some of the biases of, of, of other professional fund investors. But let's let's pick on one of the hot ones, discerning luck from skill, speculation from investing. Does spotting skill from luck become the fundamental uh, precept of choosing an active manager over an index?
0: yeah um so I definitely say that i am frustrated by things I see, but not just things I see because i'm I' as uh, susceptible to these these issues as anyone else is and uh, and bear the scars of them as well um I think the luck and skill thing is just in- incredibly important. I think anyone involved in active manager selection if we can frame it in a binary fashion, I think realistically everyone's an active investor in some form, whatever you're doing, whatever selection you're making, but let's frame it as trying to pick an active manager to outperform a particular market or benchmark. What you're trying to do is identify skill so some uh, some level of expertise um, that can deliver additional returns, additional reward through time and I think we have a real problem with conflating luck and skill um, because we're so obsessed with past performance and we don't quite understand fully the amount of randomness and um, in essence chaos in the, in the, in the system um, and I think we need to accept that <clears throat> if all active managers were we're picking stocks out of a hat. Now, the distribution of returns would probably look pretty similar to what they are anyway, um, when we think there's some skill involved in the game. So you'd still get staff fund managers, you'd still get streaks of strong performance and consecutive years of outperformance, and you get years of underperformance as well, even if it was entirely at random. Um, and what's really important not to do, whenever you have a game, and let's think of it as a game for the moment, if you have a game where there is luck involved in the outcome, you cannot judge skill based on outcomes alone because of that randomness mm. element you need to be very careful about that and, and what i think all fund investors and myself included need to be better at and think more about is being specific about what the skill or skills they're identifying or investing in is often when we talk about skills we're probably a little too vague uh talking about they're a value investor or a contrarian or they're uh, looking at buying high quality compounding companies that in essence is in it's, it's not really a skill uh, and it's certainly something that could be quite easily systematized. So what what specifically is the skill or the advantage that an investor that you favor has? And, and that's all about linking process to outcomes. So you you have to, if you want to identify skill, you have to say, do does this person or does this team have a process and can we link it to the outcomes that are being delivered? You can't look at just one side of that. You can't just look at outcomes. And I think the other important element about skill and thinking about skill in active management is understanding that different fund managers are involved in different games in different ways and compare them against each other and not compare them uh, against people doing wildly different things. So if we, have, if we have a manager who's a quality growth investor, talking in very broad terms, uh, investing over the long term, we shouldn't really be comparing them to Uh, an investor is focused on short-term earnings momentum because they're playing different games and they're using the market in a a different way. So you need to be very specific about what games you think are being uh, the the people involved in and and what skills specifically they have that means that they can deliver outperformance because our default starting point should be that investors do not have skill and it is our job to provide evidence that that they do have skill. The safest assumption is to assume that they don't have skill.
1: You know, you and and I both know that I guess one of the Great trappings, I think, of our profession is being drawn into narratives and stories with particular fund managers that over familiarity, um, and of course all the biases start to to creep in. But of course there are there are tools to cut through uh, some of those biases. And you talk about adopting an inside as well as an outside view and using base rates. So firstly, what are base rates, and how should fund investors use them to help cut through noise, to help them with their decision-making?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I, the inside view when we make a judgment is about the specifics of the particular case. So let's take it from a fund selection perspective. The inside view is about the manager, their pedigree, the team, the process they have, the systems they have. It's about the specific features of that of that instance uh, that we're thinking about. And obviously mm-hmm. narratives and stories around that are wrapped up in it as well. Um The outside view, by contrast, is just the general lessons. So the the broad evidence of this type of situation, forgetting about the specifics of the case, thinking about the general lessons we might learn from this type of situation. And it's really important to consider both aspects and probably the outside view first. But fund selection is very much an inside view activity. It's all about the specifics and this incredible manager that I've identified with these distinct characteristics rather than thinking about the broad environment of this type of manager, this type of opportunity. Uh, and the, the best type uh, of outside view to take is, is to use base rates. And that's to think about using estimates or information that's based on historic or contemporaneous examples of similar Situations. So let's take take an example. Let's say you've got uh, an equity analyst who's looking at uh, the auto sector and a particular company in the auto sector, and they're looking to forecast operating margins for that car company. The inside view is focusing just on the specifics of that company when looking to forecast the, the operating margin. The outside view is saying, what is the history of operating margins for car companies? Um, going back in time and looking at peers as well so it's taking a, a much broader approach and saying what's the starting assumption here for this judgment I'm about to make what ballpark should I be in rather than starting from the inside view and the specifics without understanding the context of the of the overall question that you're asking or the problem you're trying to solve so when I think about it from a fund selection perspective let's say on the inside view you've got this Fantastic manager that meets all your criteria, but on a very specific basis, you just think they're exceptionally talented. The outside view might be in this particular asset class, um, our base rate for managers outperforming uh, over a a five-year time horizon is 10%. So only 10% of managers in this asset class tended to outperform the market. That outside view is incredibly important in understanding whether you think it's a good idea to invest with that manager. Because you know the odds are heavily stacked against you. If you don't have the outside view, then you're just thinking about the specifics of the case, you don't have any base rates, you don't have any odds, so you don't realise that your chances of, of success in that in that regard are, are actually very low. And you can do it in other ways as well. So if you're there's no there's no one number which is a base rate, but let's say you're kind of looking to buy a, an active manager who's been incredibly successful and has outperformed by five percent annualised over the last ten years, you might look at historic instances of managers with a similar track record and what happened to them following that period of performance now my base rate for managers continuing to outperform after generating such excess returns might be 5% of managers continue to outperform or maybe none of them continue to outperform and that kind of base rate is incredibly important in framing your decision how sensible how reasonable how rational is your decision I think it makes sense to start all of your decision making with from a fun perspective from the outside view what's the context of this decision what's what are the odds of this decision and then you might adjust that based on inside views based on particular insights you have about the situation
1: it's interesting that you you touch on the I guess the time aspects the time horizon I guess between the outside and the inside view and I'm thinking back here to the you know the fidelity Magellan studies of the mid 90s the mid2000s this sense I guess that investors were perhaps becoming more short-termist um, I guess firstly do you agree and if it is is that I guess growing latency having a real, detrimental impact on that inside-view-outside-view approach.
0: Yeah, um, I think time horizons and increasing myopia is undoubtedly the the biggest problem faced by fund investors. And I think the pressure comes from everywhere. So it comes from clients, from shareholders, from the media, from regulators increasingly as well, focusing on time periods which are, again, just dominated by meaningless noise really. So one quarter, six months, one year those periods where market fluctuations are are random and incredibly difficult to predict you're trying to make judgments about the quality of an investment over that period. So what I would say is that anyone with the ability to take a longer term view, let's say you're able to take a five year view, um, has a huge edge and advantage over everyone else because everyone else is working from quarter to quarter. Um, and six months to six months and trying to get through the next quarterly report. So anyone with a genuine ability to take a long-term view has a huge edge and, and theoretically it's quite a simple one to to exploit, um, but clearly you've got to be in the right environment to do that. One of the concerns I have um, about fund selection as a, as a discipline is that unfortunately the interests of fund selectors have become um, through no real thought of their own um, misaligned with probably the long-term interests of clients and long-term prudent investment decision-making because in a world of, of myopia, uh, when you're under pressure from various stakeholders about short term performance, it's in the interests of fund selectors to, to keep your job is to sell the laggards buy the flavor of the month funds. So people don't have to worry about the laggards anymore and can be happy. They've got some recent outperformance in there. Uh, You change your job after three years. uh, So no one really notices the the long-term cost of that type of, of trading behavior. Um, people just don't have the time horizons to make prudent investment decisions and then wait for them to, to come to fruition. Um, it's really I mean, it's difficult to work out what the solution to that is, but I think things like adding friction to an investment process is good to make you more long-term education, uh, certainly more education about behavior, and even blending managers of different styles just to try and um, insulate you from the, the, the strong desire to react to short-term performance. And I think we're in a situation where it's quite easy as a fund investor to do stuff that makes you feel better in the near term and then you can just repent at leisure um, because of the long-term costs of that type of performance-chasing behaviour or myopia.
1: Preoccupancy that we have about certain standard time periods of performance when it comes to driving fund development actions, corporate actions, fund manager changes, fund selection processes, screens, etc. This sort of system of control, not exactly the sort of thing you want to be to be trying chasing. And again, I think when we're talking about those pressures on fund selectors, the the rapid advancement of the ESG agenda right now amongst fund selectors, which has a long-term aim but is leading to a huge amount of short-term noise, a lot of short-term decisions to try and rapidly transition. What's your take on all that? Is that going to be a source for inefficient decision-making in the near term, um, somehow as an acceptable compromise so that we achieve longer-term ambitions?
0: I think there's definite frustrations around what's happening around greenwashing and kind of the whole ESGs and our DNA nonsense that you hear all the time um, and lacks any kind of reasonable um, credibility. Um, so I think there are elements of it that are frustrating and obviously we're in an environment where active managers are seeing margins under increasing pressure from the movement to, to passive um, clearly, there are um, incentives at hand here and, and questionable motives. Um, but I think the, the broad movement of what's happening, the movement away from simple shareholder value maximisation towards sustainability is almost undoubtedly beneficial for the for people and the planet. Um, so I think that movement generally is almost certainly a, a uniform positive. But I think we just need to be slightly careful about how we're, how we're framing that that change. Uh, one of the concerns I definitely have is about making ESG into a, a performance narrative to so saying that if we have positive ESG or sustainability characteristics, however we w- might frame them uh, in a fund, then that leads to some kind of excess return, or some kind of factual premium from investing in, in ESG factors. And I think that's problematic for two reasons. One is that the evidence is just not Strong enough. We've been through a decade or more of value underperforming and quality growth outperforming. There's no way you can reasonably disentangle that from some of the ESG factors. So I don't think that doesn't mean that ESG factors don't exist or that they will not deliver some kind of excess return through time, but it just means I don't think there's enough evidence to make very bold claims about it. So I think the narrative saying you can do good and get excess returns, so I think that's a stretch. And I think it's problematic, A, because I'm not sure the evidence is strong enough to say it, but B, what happens when it doesn't work? So you want clients to come on this journey with you and to, for them to buy into sustainable investing and ESG investing. But if you make the claims about performance and then you go through the inevitable period of disappointing performance, um, let's say what we have three years where positive ESG stocks underperform. What happens then? Do, do we abandon them because we've said to people that that it leads to outperformance, and now they're not outperforming? What's people's tolerance for for ESG or sustainable strategies underperforming? And I'm not sure about that. And I think that's why the messaging shouldn't be about this fund will outperform because it's got strong ESG characteristics. I think there's a there's a better narrative than that one. Uh, and I think that narrative is movement away, I so said, the movement away from shareholder value maximization is very good for the people and the planet. And I think that the returns of the majority of asset classes and therefore the majority of funds are likely to be significantly higher if we avoid the negative consequences of unchecked climate change. So you never see these returns, but returns are likely to be much better if the asset management industry starts taking ESG and particularly climate issues more seriously. Uh, and the consequences are pretty grim if they don't. Um, so doing so should lead to better returns better growth over the long term but that's not a fund specific thing clearly there's fund specific opportunities but really I think it's about a movement of an industry to stop focusing so much on quite narrow shareholder motives and focusing more on a wider group of stakeholders on society and I think that's a that's a good thing but we need to be really careful about how we message it and be really careful about creating short-term performance narratives around it because I think that will just lead to a situation where when it doesn't work Which, let's be clear, even if a factor works incredibly well over the long term, there will be periods, quite long periods at times, when it doesn't work. You just create the situation where people start abandoning it because you've created the wrong narrative about about how ESG and sustainable investing might improve returns. And I think it's a much broader narrative to think about rather than fund X will do better than fund Y because it has better ESG characteristics.
1: If you're a free market supporter, then um, this, I guess, increasing politicising of funds, fund markets investing is possibly worrisome. Where I've probably got greatest sympathy is fund selectors facing into into that green noise because all those around them perhaps see confront, you know, dealing with ESG as somehow as a binary, you do it or you don't do it. Whereas as you know as fund selectors, uh, those who have prided ourselves as professional fund investors we are I guess the the balancer of risks, the, the arbiter of various inputs to try to get to an, an, an effective and efficient decision and I can imagine the pressure will be ramping up quite significantly on the on the fund selectors but let's finish off with a, a fund a fun part and this is the bit that all my guests love which is the the 10 question rapid fire rounds Joe um, if you're ready we shall get started let's go good stuff question number one bull or bear bull. Question number two, Bogle or Buffett? Bogle. Question three, Profit or Planet? Planet. Question four, divest or engage? Engage. Question five, lower cost or better value?
0: Better value.
1: Question six, super tankers or boutiques?
0: Boutiques.
1: Question seven, Star managers or team players?
0: Team players.
1: Question eight. Public or private? Public. Question nine. High growth or stable income? Stable income. And question ten. My favourite. Socialism or free market?
0: If it's binary, socialism did
1: not expect that. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, and that just leaves our little bonus round. If you can choose a number between 11 and 40.
0: Uh, can I have 39, please?
1: Just try to figure out where my 39's going. <laughs> I did have 39. Uh, right, I'll change that. Here we go. Question 39, art or science?
0: Oh, God. Um, science.
1: Great stuff. And that marks the end of the interview joe wiggins i just want to say thanks very much for jumping on it's uh, i know it's uh, it can be a bit of a random walk um, coming on this show but i just want to say thanks very much it's been great to i guess get into this discussion about noise and uh, the decision making process for fun selectors so uh, thanks very much joe
0: thank you really enjoyed it
1: please don't forget to like and share and subscribe you know click the subscribe button a new podcast every two weeks with a new guest Stay tuned. A big thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Brought to you by my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors. and A warm thanks to today's guest. Legally, I am compelled to remind everyone that all views of this podcast are, of course, independent and do not belong to any affiliation or organisation. Just in case that was in any doubt. Tune in for the next podcast every two weeks from the New Fund Order. Please subscribe, share, like, and comment. Let me know what you think and what you'd like covered in future episodes. Until then, stay safe and keep it left field. On Wall Street, the Dow sinking over 1,400 points, officially entering bear market territory. Once again, related to fears over coronavirus and pessimism that any economic stimulus measures are still far off. At this time, it's different with Wall <clears throat> Realize that this rotation was occurring. Now there's a very fundamental reason to support the continuing rotation. Long surge to start the year. Many are again asking, are you better off with passive index investing? They're going to have to find
0: another argument. In the markets the last couple of weeks, yields have been moving. Seems a lot of money shifting from high growth into what they perceive as value. It has been quite the same. <sighs>